Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm good. Uh, how are you? I'm good too. I mean, I think this is the first time in weeks where we've both said that. Yeah, well, I, I realize that I have been very selfish in in uh, expressing how I feel and, and not letting you have the opportunity to express yourself as well. Well, maybe, but maybe that's also the curse of our opening line that we've had for the past 56 <laughs> episodes where, where <laughs> I and get which the first we hear question about, in. Which we hear about whenever we change it. Yeah, I know. We can't change it or we get grief. So uh, it, it's funny. So I'm actually uh, – uh, uh, I would like to let you know that I am wearing my pants today. Congratulations, Ben. That's quite an achievement. Every day yes, you wake it, up it wearing is. your own pants. Yeah, it is. I mentioned that I, I am in the States right now, and I did get a chance to hang out with you last night. Um, and well, this is going nowhere nowhere good. Um, also, <laughs> that ends well. I'm actually um, a, uh, I, I was visiting with, with, some, with some folks, and uh, I'm at a I'm at a, a company in the silicon valley area they were generous enough to let me use a room but hilariously they have like a babysitter like there's someone uh, like sitting outside the room i think her entire job is to keep an eye on me so i'm sitting in this room recording this podcast and uh someone is like just watching me oh wow it's that that sounds cia-esque they've they've given you a minder no i well it's understandable i mean i can't just let let me uh be wandering around and but it's it, it is kind of funny. That it is kind so of. So if there's if, if if a hint of self consciousness comes through in this podcast, you will know why. <laughs> that would be a first. Uh, on that sorry. What was so bad about that is I no. I, as soon as I said it, I saw it coming. Like about, it was like it's like when time just started moving slowly, and I was just waiting for it to come. This episode is sponsored by Wealthfront. Wealthfront's an automated investment service built for the modern era, and it's making it easier than ever to invest your money well. How do they do it? Well, Wealthfront uses software instead of retail locations, salespeople, and so on, so it can offer sophisticated investment advice at low costs that were previously impossible. It's exploded in popularity in the last two years, and they now have more than $2.5 billion under management. Check them out at wealthfront.com slash exponent to get up to $15,000 managed for free. Cool. Um, well, we, we, uh, I, I wrote a daily update today um, about uh, YouTube Red. Mm. And I, I usually don't like, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, I don't want to spend too much time on my daily updates in, in the podcast because you're supposed to be paying for those. Um, but this one in particular, I, I'm kind of irked about what I wrote. Oh really? And the yeah, and the reason I'm irked about what I wrote is because so whenever whenever uh, a topic comes along or news item happens, uh, you know I I like to make sure I understand both sides, right? I think you can make a much more effective argument if you understand if you're capable of making both sides of the argument, right? Mm. Because that means you you really understand the issue, and um, the issue with with YouTube Red is. Uh, the moment I heard about it, it just sounded so stupid and such a bad idea. And I was struggling so hard to understand the other point of view. And I think finally I came up with something, but then I feel like I overcompensated and like made it sound more positive, positive than it was. Um, anyhow, um, YouTube red, it's, uh, it's basically, you can pay Google to $10 a month to not have ads on YouTube uh, to listen to music or video, all, all content to get it offline and to uh, be able to listen to music and things without having the video in the foreground. Mm. So, right, which I mean, video, YouTube is the biggest music listening streaming service by far, but it's limited by the fact that, you know, it has it has to be in the foreground on, on your device. And there will also be some exclusive content uh, for YouTube. And, um, I don't know the the the, it, it, the the whole thing puzzles me. You, you struggled so long and so hard to find the other side that when you managed to find it, it was like a eureka moment, and you were so so happy about it that that's all that came through in the update. Is that what happened? Well, no, 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 no. I, I think I said I think I said I think I said both sides pretty clearly, but um, I don't think I was clear enough how how much this 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 confuses me. Mm. And the reason it confuses me is that uh, I fundamentally uh don't uh, uh uh if if you're like a, a developer and you make a like a one guy developer or a small team or whatever and you make an app 
and you slap in an ad network. You're not like you're not going to be selling your own ads, right? You're mm. you're a small guy. We've talked about the scale, how important scale is to advertising. You put in an ad network, and you're going to monetize by pay a buck or whatever, and you can get rid of ads. Um, totally fine, totally reasonable. That, glad that works for you. Um, you're not making any money off those ads anyway, because you know you don't know who your customers are. It's all it's all they're all race to zero. Um, that's fine. That is not a viable business model for an actual advertising based business. You 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 don't the pay money to get rid of ads is is nonsensical for an advertising business. Yeah, I, I, it it makes sense. The, and the very people who are who are most valuable for advertisers to reach are going to be the same ones that are going to be most likely to want to pay to get rid of the ads, right? Right, exactly. I mean, you're you're going to be a uh, well. Number one, first and foremost, if you're willing to pay, get rid of ads. You are by definition someone with a high willingness to pay. Right. Like, which is makes you an attractive customer to start out with. You're likely someone who values your time. You value the user experience. You value all these sorts of things that differentiate products to the point where you will pay more than the marginal cost for the product. Mm. So you're 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 eliminating from the advertising pool the exact sort of people that advertisers want to reach, which has two effects. Number one, it reduces the total scale. And remember, an important part of advertising is is the cost. It, like You have to get a good return on investment, which means like it has to be worth an advertiser's time. That's why TV still retains so much advertising power, isn't just because of the format, but also with one purchase, you can reach a ton of people. Right. Mm. And so just sheer numbers are important when it comes to advertising. You let people opt out, you're reducing sheer numbers. Number two, though, is by eliminating the, the, the best customers, you're making the pool less attractive. So you're making it smaller and less attractive. And that's not a great way to build an advertising business. You managed to somehow find a rationale for them to do this. I'm curious as to what you think. <laughs> well, wait, it is. no, I want to. I want to first say how. I want to. I'm not finished saying how terrible. It is. <laughs> Don't let me interrupt you then. So the other problem. It, it, so just in general, the idea of a pay to get rid of ads model for an advertising business is a terrible idea. Um, number two. Like we've been talking about on this podcast and the industry has been talking about for ages, this this shift of brand advertising dollars mm. from TV to digital. And uh, f- like digital spend is set to outpace TV spend, I think, for the first time this year. You have plummeting TV ratings, like a real drop in this year specifically, particularly among, among millennials. And again, millennials, that generation is so attracted to advertisers because they're developing preferences that will last for a lifetime. Um and uh, and and of all the times, and, and meanwhile, video r- remains a fantastic ad unit for obvious reasons. And why now? Like of all the times to seemingly cut your advertising business off at the knees, why now? Uh, at, at your moment of glory. I mean, it's a I, I, the 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 first two points are good ones, but the the third point around this shift that's taking place and them deciding to do it right as the shift is taking place, right when the advertisers are looking for uh, new options with scale like television and YouTube. YouTube is like Google's best opportunity, best best last best hope for brand advertising when everything else is much further down the funnel. This is their one big thing, and they're choosing to 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 do this. I I would tend to agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the best, honestly. So, okay, so the, the, ex, the, the possible counter explanation that I, that I came up with. And again, I almost feel like I spent too much time on this because I was trying to, so hard to come up with it is, uh, the, what, the one thing that makes YouTube very interesting and, and, um, and and very important for Google is not just the brand advertising angle. YouTube has two things. Number one, it's it's the best Google property for brand advertising, which we just talked about. Mm. But number two, it's the one Google property again outside Android. But Android is unique because it's a platform. We've talked about that previously. Uh, as far as money making options, uh, YouTube is superior to all of its nominal competition on mobile. And what I mean that if YouTube, you're seeing all these comparison charts now that they're charging with YouTube versus Netflix versus Hulu versus HBO, uh, those other three are all 
the bigger the screen, the better. Like you're gonna sit back for 30 minutes or an hour, and you're gonna you're gonna absorb this programming. You're gonna be immersed in this programming. You don't want to be interrupted. Uh, YouTube content's the exact opposite. YouTube is is snackable. You go in, you you watch a couple videos, you tap through. Maybe you'll end up spending 30 minutes or an hour, but it's it's 30 minutes or an hour that's spent in pieces. You get interrupted. It's no big deal. Like YouTube is like Facebook. It, it is the sort of product that fills the empty spaces mm. of our lives, and that is super valuable. And that is that's an even more critical factor for Google. I mean, because money always follows from having the having the consumer, right? And and a big threat to Google is they just don't have anything to immerse the consumer in, in the empty spaces of which mobile is so important, except for YouTube. And YouTube is like YouTube is big and it's growing and it's growing really fast, despite the fact it's already big. Um, and and so that makes it really valuable to to Google. Is this? Could this then be characterized as a move that's ultimately focused on exactly that point? Then it's like, okay, we we maybe they're seeing data that like you you show people these thirty second ads when they have two minutes to spare. They they're just like opening YouTube and they want to flick through it. And maybe for some small percentage of people, or in some some character uh, some uh, context, some circumstances, YouTube is the default versus Facebook. And then the first thing they get hit with is an ad, and you're seeing them you're seeing them lose people as a result of that. And they're like, "Well, what can we do? Well, maybe this is worth a shot." Exactly. I think that 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 and that is the well, two parts. Leave off the worth a shot part because I think actually that specific phrase is worth worth talking about. Mm. But the, there's no question that uh, a a video advertising unit is far more problematic from user experience in this specific use case mm. where you're just looking to fill a couple minutes and actually the fact that YouTube videos are shorter than usual makes it worse because you're constantly being Bombarded. interrupted. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And 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 so the the user experience impact of the ad it's like what one of the things about Facebook that makes Facebook so compelling is that the the ad unit is so not intrusive. Mm. Like it, it's effective in that it takes over the entire screen of your device, which is amazing. But it's not—it's not taking over your screen in a like you. If you think about it, you're viewing an ad, but it's not like it's not like in your face. This is an advertisement, even though it is in your face. If that makes sense. You know what I mean. Whereas when you're watching a pre-roll ad, you are watching a pre-roll ad. And actually, I would I I hate the the YouTube advertising unit. I hate the skip ad nonsense where you can have like a five minute ad and you can skip it after. Like it puts such a cognitive load on the viewer every single time they have to do an action to get rid of the ad. So paying for it definitely alleviates. Uh alleviates those problems you just identified with the experience. But it, I can't help but feel like that there are better ways of fixing the user experience rather than asking users to pay $10 to get a good experience. I feel like there are other ways of doing it. So you could use data to see that uh, users, for example, they will they will come in and they'll, they're, instead of loading up Facebook to fill some free time, they're loading up YouTube to uh, free some uh, to to fill some free time, and they're only going to be there for two minutes. Two minutes. Don't show them an ad in those circumstances. Wait until it's clear that they're going to be there for a while before you show them an ad the first time round. And similarly, rather than having these long five minute ads, put restrictions on the ad unit so it's fifteen seconds or something like that. Or if advertisers really want to make it longer, charge them. Charge them a scaling uh, fee where as the length of the ad goes up, the cost exponentially increases to encourage them to get that point across quickly so it doesn't affect the, the experience of using YouTube as much. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, it, the, 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 the challenge with anything advertising, which we're kind of talking about in this whole thing, is uh, because it's such a scale game, like, like making limited restrictions here or there immediately adds up to a massive amount, right? When you're working across a user base of hundreds of millions, if not billions, five seconds for any one of those users is multiplied by the number of users is massive. Yeah. And your point, and, oh, sorry. Well, no, I, well, I think you, what you're talking about, the user experience, like that, it's interesting because actually 
when you step out of my traditional look at the business model sort of framework, YouTube Red actually sounds pretty awesome. You know what I mean? Like you can go on YouTube, you can flip around and you're immediately viewing these videos and you can listen to music. And the thing with YouTube is it has one, it doesn't just have all the, all the hits. It also has all the like remixes and live pieces. There's all this sort of concert footage. There's fan covers. Like they have a really unique and differentiated library. And I've, I can listen to that anywhere I want. I can listen to it in the background. I don't have to have it in, in the foreground all the time. Like the product is actually it is more than just take away the ads like it, it's a complete mobile entertainment sort of experience and that I, I, can you really get there if you're only going halfway i mean maybe you do need to pay t- to really realize it you know this is this is interesting this this is reminding me about one of these things that i've become i've come to appreciate about product when uh, having lived out here and having been doing this podcast and focusing on things like this for so long that when you create a new offer, simplicity is absolutely key. And right now, like listening to you describe that, $10 a month for that actually sounds pretty compelling. But because they've, they've stacked on two things, they've stacked all the free music in the background with all the covers and everything, plus they've stacked on um, f- uh, uh, getting rid of the ads. Uh, this conversation and just the very notion of what we've anchored on is is getting rid of the ads, but no one's really going to want to pay $10 a month to get rid of the ads, and yet that's what we're anchoring on. And I actually wonder whether this might have been more successful from a product perspective. If they'd ignored the ad side, they'd launched a new app called YouTube Red, which is all about the music. It's $10 a month. Uh, you you get to listen to it in the background. You can have the video if you want. It's going to help you find covers. It's going to help you find things that are related and just ignored the, the typical experience but made it more of a music focus where you pay $10 a month. Well, they, I mean, that, that was what was rumored. Uh, you, music Key, I think, was the name, and they've, they've been testing that. Um, I mean, the problem is what – yes, YouTube has a unique library in some respects, especially with the um, – but that's that's just like what Spotify and Apple Music is doing. And remember, we've already covered the fact that that's not a very great business. Like you're you're handing off most of your revenue to, to, to the labels. Um, so I get your point. I think making um, – you know, there, there's a – I think we've talked about this. But there was an interesting study where uh, it showed that if you make an offer, uh, people will – value the offer according to the worth of the least valuable thing in the bundle Mm. like people don't add when they when they when they when they evaluate offers and so actually offering one thing of high value can often charge a higher price than charging three things of high value um it's funny you see this with like the cable bundle right people think they're overpaying for the cable bundle because they anchor on all the channels they don't watch Mm. When actually, from in any sort of rational economic perspective, the cable bundle is a phenomenal deal. Um, but people don't perceive it as being a phenomenal deal because of this exact sort of bias that you're 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 touching on. Um, so I get what you're saying. That said, uh, I just do we really need another streaming ten dollar a month streaming service? Uh, um, here's the big question. The whole point of this area and why it's important for Google and why it's such a huge market is it's filling the empty spaces in your life, the time when you're bored, uh, the time when you're sitting on the bus, uh, the time when you're sitting on the couch doing something else. And it turns out that time is a big part of our lives, and it's a great fit, as we've talked about, for brand advertising. Um, the question is, would do people value it do people are people willing to pay people are willing to pay for things when they feel like they're doing something they're being productive and they're you know getting things out of it but are people willing to pay to be bored more effectively you know you could argue they do in the case of tv yeah netflix right netflix but netflix again what 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 this is interesting Mm. where the TV mm. has shifted not just in the last five years. TV has been shifting over the last 30 years away from a mass audience uh, advertising-driven model to a subscription model where 
and this is why we have the golden age of TV with this explosion of quality content. It no longer matters that you have a huge audience for your show. The goal is not to create another Cheers or another Seinfeld. The goal is to create a show that has some small number of fanatics like in fanatics who will lose their minds if the carrier drops that channel. And so AMC, for example, can raise rates not because they have a ton of people that watched Mad Men. Not that many people did. A lot of people do watch The Walking Dead. But the but the the payoff is that they can raise the fees they charge carriers because people will go nuts if it's not there. And it that's a subscription. It's a it's a it's a subscription in disguise because you're paying the you're paying Comcast or whatever, and they're paying AMC. But it is a subscription, and then it's a very small step from there to making it explicit, like HBO. Like you pay HBO because you actively want their shows mm. and netflix is shifting this as well you more and more pay netflix because you actively want the netflix original content and whereas youtube is is more like the the older tv uh where it's there and it's not that's that is valuable but are people when it's not an active decision that you're seeking something out are people willing to pay I think you've just made the best point as to why not to make this a subscription. This is if 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 HBO and Netflix or the new cable, YouTube is the old the old world's free to air, which is for everybody else who doesn't want to subscribe for this premium content that just wants to have something mindless to turn on and watch for a little while. This is it. And that's a perfect fit for brand advertising and you want to put as little friction as possible in between uh, the user and getting to that content. Um, I, I I think it, that model works best when brand advertisers can reach everybody that you're not influencing that. I, I think th- the way you framed that just then made it clear, at least to me, that like that was the clearest articulation of why this move doesn't make sense. Well, the other thing, though, is we're looking at it from our viewpoint, right? And there's this whole universe of YouTube stars that like people do care about and do subscribe to and you see startups like vessel um the jason clark's thing the the former the guy who started you hulu like trying to get these stars off in, in through and charging a subscription fee like there are people that people subscribe to they subscribe to people it's it's not like the old shows where they're every thursday night at 8 p.m or 9 p.m they're gonna go watch you know the sitcom it's more it's more about notifications like boom there's a new there's a new thing and, and there's it's internet style it might be 5 minutes it might be 46 minutes it might be 13 minutes and 12 seconds like it doesn't matter because it's on it's on the internet mm. and people care and these people have massive audiences in the tens of millions and uh like you know i think PewDiePie is is is, is the most famous one and actually not surprisingly uh, that is the exclusive content angle with HBO. Is it's almost completely built around H. Uh, U, sorry, not HBO. That is the exclusive angle for YouTube. Is creating more original programming around YouTube stars. Notice they're not hiring Hollywood stars. They are using professional production companies, but it's built around YouTube stars creating original content for these people. So. I made that big pronouncement. You agree with me, so thank you. But we might be wrong, and we're in our mid thirties, and we're totally out of touch with popular culture. But then, so so, let me throw this out there as an alternative. Rather than a one size fits all subscription model, what about enabling a, uh, a a a premium level where some of these guys get to charge for some of their content on YouTube, and you can only gain access to some of it if if people wanna if if people pay, and then. Uh, YouTube gets a small cut of that, and most of it flows to the stars. Well, the problem though is you're trying. That is in the danger. That's getting even closer to the danger zone. Trying to have it both ways. Like, I think you you need to choose. Either you're going to be an advertising company, or you're going to be a subscription company. It's like the same thing I've been talking about with publishers, right? You're either going to be like you, you either want to maximize revenue per user, you want to maximize the number of users. And to a degree, YouTube is always going to try to have it all because there's always going to be a free layer. And that makes sense to because a lot of YouTube is at, is being at the end of a link, right? Mm. You you click a link on on Facebook, you click a link on Twitter, and you end up on a on a YouTube video. 
the problem with that business, of course, is that Facebook is more than happy to just host the video themselves. Uh, Facebook is a better place. It is, I mean, this is again to why Facebook is such a behemoth. Facebook video ads are so much better than YouTube video ads because how are they experienced? A YouTube video ad is experienced as an interruption to what you're try- actively trying to do. You clicked on this link because you want to see a video and you're being forced to endure an advertisement, which the whole point of brand advertising is to, is to make a positive impression and form positive affinity. Doing it, it by inspiring annoyance is not a great way to yeah. accomplish that. Whereas Facebook, their video ads are – it's like the other ads we talked about. You're scrolling through your feed and and you see motion on your screen because the auto-playing videos. There's no sound, so it's not that big a deal. Obviously, it's a data issue. but um, And I've – for sure, I've viewed way more video ads on Facebook in the last month than I probably ever have on YouTube. It's just because it catches your eye, right? Mm. And you'll find yourself, oh, I'm watching an ad, and you barely even realized it. And that comes from owning the feed. It comes from owning where people live. And that's so much more valuable than being a place people, uh, an endpoint, a place people end up at. Yeah. I mean, so the, the natural question becomes, is there some way that YouTube could improve its ad unit beyond what it's done? I mean, this is like, right now, it's the traditional kind of television ad model where it's interruption based is there some other approach they could take and beyond giving people the opt out with the skip button that would make people more amenable to to the way that they present ads well the only thing i push back on is is for many years until we realized their DVRs to work around it, we didn't really have that big of a problem with television advertising because it actually is – it's a compelling ad unit. And it's compelling in that – think about your traditional TV show. It starts. You're engaged. They put some sort of cliffhanger in mm. and then there's a commercial. And mm-hmm. it, it – like, no, but it, it, this is what happens when you figure – once everything gets aligned, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of works together to make it effective, uh-huh. even subconsciously because the incentives are aligned. And that's how you get hugely profitable businesses as – as the TV business has been for a very long time, um, the 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 challenge with video ads is uh, you don't is you don't have that alignment between the content producers and the advertisers. Whereas, like TV content producers, because they knew they had to like a sitcom was twenty two minutes because there was eight minutes of ads. There's going to be three breaks. They the content producer built the content around the commercial interruptions. And so even though they didn't know who the advertiser was, they knew where and when the advertisement was going to be. And so you ended up building, like like I said, those cliffhangers and stuff like that because everything was aligned. The challenge with online video is the great thing about it is it's not a TV advertisement or it's not a TV. It doesn't fit in a template. You can do a three-minute video. You can do it next day, do a 13-minute video. And that's great. The problem is is there's zero alignment between advertising and and the content, it's the same sort of issue with print going online, right? On a newspaper, when it's actual an actual physical page that you're holding, having the advertisement next to the content is much more compelling than on the web where it's it's just a poor imitation of analog. And right now, I think video advertising is the same thing. It's, it's, it's much more interruption-based because you can't stick the ad in the middle of the content because you don't know where to put it because the content producer wasn't designing the content with the anticipation of ads so you just stick it in front and then it's a, an annoyance and yeah maybe that is something that could be fixed yeah it's an interesting question i mean it uh, the, the, uh you're you're reframing what i asked which is like is there some way i didn't can... i said nothing new no 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 but it's like i think it's an important reframing rather than is no there some i said it because, if... because, because because i was thinking that as i concluded speaking i'm like i i'm not i think i just did a big circuitous route around the block and right back no where we but I, wait ago. like i think you're being unfair to yourself now uh, i think reframing the question is a good one rather than is there a way of youtube improving that ad unit is there a way of youtube finding some way of better aligning the incentives between content producers and advertisers like is there something where if you if your content conforms to these things then we will increase the uh we will increase the amount of revenue that we share with you so if you have a 13 minute video and i mean these stars are pulling in massive amounts of money and you do a break in the middle and you note on on your video when you upload it that there's going to be a break and that we can insert advertising here in the break like guys I'll be right back after this advertising that we will increase the amount of the revenue that we share with with you from the advertiser or something like that is there some way that they can improve it on that basis 
Yeah, perhaps, perhaps, but again, you're it's in a different environment. Like th- this TV model came around when there were three broadcast networks, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And it started to fall apart with cable because there were so many options that people started surf- switching channels during breaks, right? And, and then it got, and then DVRs came along, and and now the whole thing has really fallen apart. And TV has had to respond again. That's why there's been this this multi-decade shift to a subscription model mm. in TV. And the TV has moved away steadily and away from advertising again, even before Netflix. It's been going on for a, a long time, mm-hmm. and that's in response to this. YouTube and online video is launching into this environment. There's just so much content. Can, are, can you like how compelling must the first half of video be to expect someone to hang through a break to stick around? I'm, I'm sure some people can pull it off, but I, it, it may be sticking with a model that we think works because it worked in the past, but actually it won't now. And this is and this is the part where I'm willing to at least wait and see about about this move. Because the fact of the matter is YouTube's been trying to figure out monetization for nearly a decade now. Mm. Like and and we're not gonna sit here on this podcast and come up with, boy, you should just try harder. You know yeah. what I mean? No, no, no. They, no, and I, I, I don't say that. I say that somewhat jokingly, but also <laughs> that it, it's true. And if you, if you think about, if you think about this idea, the fact that, the fact that number one, so there's two aspects of, of YouTube video. The fact that number one, there is some audience that. And it could potentially be grown significantly that just goes to YouTube. It's a destination site. And I think it's I, I suspect it's a small part of the user base, but it's a, that is a very valuable. It's we've talked about it, it's so difficult to be a destination site, particularly a destination site in your downtime. And like in some respects, Facebook, YouTube is like the only one of the few properties that is in the conversation with Facebook and Snapchat and in that. Mm-hmm. aspect of user behavior and that's so valuable and and removing these interruptions fits into that the other part of youtube though is again this this where it's at the end of a link and and what's interesting about that is when you arrive at youtube at the end of a link you've arrived there with intent you you're going there like you actively click that link and you're going there to view something and if you're doing something with intent, you're already you've already crossed some sort of Rubicon away mm-hmm. from it's letting it happening to you to making an active decision, mm-hmm. and it's not quite to the level of it's like I talk about people talk about like how much my site costs, for example, right? And um, and I, I've long argued that it's a much it's much 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 more difficult to go from zero cents to one cent mm-hmm. than it is to go from one cent to ten dollars. And the reason is because it, you're you're making a, a, such a you have to, not just the act of pulling out your credit card and putting a number. It's it's the it's such a decision. Like like there's consequences to that decision. In a way, there isn't if it's just a free site, right? Well, at a very microscopic level, you could say the same thing. There's consequences to clicking a link. Like you're you're going to be taken out of your experience. You're going to go to the new page. You're going to download stuff. It might suck. Like yeah, it's very small. Make no mistake. I'm like we're we're I'm teasing out the finest of details here. But still, it's something beyond the Facebook model of you're just letting it wash over you. And if you're already in that arena where you're making an active decision, well, maybe you're actually closer to getting them to whip out a credit card than you you might be in like a facebook world where no one's going to pay to remove ads on facebook i mean cuz it, it and that's and that speaks to the quality of facebook advertising as, from a user experience perspective hmm. right, so so let me be let me just make sure i under, understood what i heard which is that if you you distinguish between youtube as the des, uh, youtube as the the kind of destination so someone who's opening up uh, the app and just scrolling through or going to youtube.com like entertain me, which is, I agree, incredibly valuable. But there's also YouTube as the, uh, I, I'm linking to it from somewhere else. And you are saying by virtue of the fact that they've arrived from somewhere else that they're more likely to pay because some decision has been made? No, what I mean is, 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 uh, it, like there is a cost to clicking links. Yes. Like this is it's something I think about with my with my daily updates. Most people consume it in email, and I des- I 
write the daily update with the assumption that no one is going to click a link mm-hmm. in there. I still link to stuff, but I, I excerpt much more in the daily update than I do um, perhaps in, in articles. And part of it is because most people read it in email. A lot of people read it in their phone. Um, on the subway or in bed or whatever, or over coffee. I, um, every time I it shows up late, people let me know what 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 part of their daily experience is is Ruined. being missed. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Um, but a, a link is costly, and this is and this is one reason why I think a lot of newsletters are less compelling than they might be, is because they're all just a bunch of links. Um, links are costly from a user experience perspective. They're costly from a bandwidth perspective. They're costly from from you're taken out of your experience. It's hard to get people back. Uh, and again, this is something I don't think people think about actively, but they do subconsciously. And my point being is to, um, the, again, two YouTube use cases. You cover the one is you just go to YouTube. The other one is you click a link, say, oh, this is a really cool video. Watch it. If you're, you've already, to actually click that link is to make some level of commitment. And my uh-huh. only point is uh, Facebook asks zero commitment. To view a Facebook video requires no commitment other than the fact that your eyes are in the general vicinity of the screen. Yeah. and You know I, what I mean? Totally. And I think the point about even how even clicking a link, while, while it sounds trivial to say clicking a link, but when you're in the middle of an email to actually, particularly if you're following an argument, to click a link, leave the app, go to something else, that it, it really does ruin the experience. And I've noticed it, and it's one of the things I enjoy about your newsletter is that you don't have to do it. I'm just trying to bring that understanding back to our conversation around YouTube. Is your point just that by virtue of YouTube's position as something that people end up on much more as a result of clicking the link, that their advertising unit is never going to be as good as Facebook's? Or is there something more? Oh, I think it's both. I think it's both because uh – an advertisement on YouTube is always going to be more intrusive because it's interrupting an intended action. Yes. That's number one. And number two, the fact that someone has committed at least a quick link. Yes. That's the, that's about the tiniest sliver of commitment you come up with, but they're at least taken a half a step down the road towards subscribing. If that makes sense. And you can see a world where, where, um, that knowledge, that knowledge, that, if I click this link, I know I'm not going to be interrupted because I already paid for it. Actually, significantly expands YouTube usage. That's interesting because it's funny. The the way I heard that argument is actually more of a rationale for keeping the ads. It's like I've gone to the I've gone to the the effort of clicking the link because someone's told me it's good. I'm much less likely to abandon as a result of the fact I'm I'm taking. Uh, I'm taking the action. Yeah, they're going to put 15 seconds of ad in front of me. I've already proven that I care enough to click the link. Yeah, I'll put up with your ad. I'll watch your ad and then I'll get to my video. I'm not sure. uh, And again, I'm speaking personally and then projecting. I'm not sure that I'm more likely to click a YouTube link as a result of a guarantee that I'm not going to get an ad. And I'm also not sure that if I'm clicking off Facebook or somewhere else like that, it's going to make me more likely to subscribe to YouTube if I'm just watching. No, you're looking at it backwards. No one's going to say, oh my gosh, this is an opportunity to exercise my right to not view ads. I'm going to click this link. (laughs) I mean, it's more... Uh, It's more... uh, There's two sorts of products, right? uh, There's there's products that... um, make you want to do something and uh-huh. there's and there or there's aspects of a product that make you want to do something and there's aspects of a product that make you not want to do something and removing the latter the latter can be just as valuable as adding the former mm, okay and and the point being is not that you will actively make a decision to to click a link because you are a youtube subscriber it's that 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 momentary hesitation like do i really want to put up with an ad right now which you, again is subconscious almost certainly um, is removed, and the, and the removal of friction can can always be valuable. And this is one thing that gets into the monetization stuff. Like, where where do you make money? You make money by like friction is where you make money, right? And uh, y- there is friction being removed, and that can be valuable. And and again, this speaks to the quality of the Facebook ad. That mm. there's really not that much friction to be removed. So why would you even? There's not. Again, no one's going to pay for it, and that speaks to how quality the advertising is. The fact that this is even something that people would potentially pay for is is 
the exact same thing as saying the YouTube video ad is not as effective as it might be. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Makes sense. Well, I, I did want, I did, I did have a question for you. Sure. Um, I wrote about this this week. Um, why on earth do you think Amazon two months later came out guns a blazing against the New York times? I mean, put aside the arguments in the letter, like why, why re- resuscitate this? That's a really good question. I, 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 I was, I, I mean, sorry, I didn't warn you. I put you. On no, the no, spot. no, 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 no. It's interesting. I, um, so maybe this is having an effect from an employee, either retention or morale or attraction point of view that they're actually starting to notice that, that, that some of what, I mean, the New York times thing really stuck. Like it resonated in a way that, um, few of I mean you hear these stories about these tech companies it's always popular to write about tech but credit to them that that New York Times piece on Amazon really cut through and it really stuck and it started it spawned a whole heap of conversations and even now I notice people still talking about it at work I wonder whether they've started to notice it from uh, and in being able to attract and retain uh, really talented employees, it's like bubbled to the surface even a couple of months later. And it's like, okay, maybe it's clear this isn't going to die. Yeah, from a from a general PR standpoint, best practice at this point would be to let the thing slide. But if it's going to affect our ability to attract and retain the best talent, we need to go after this and uh, let's, let's figure out a way of doing it. That's interesting. Uh, I think that that... that- that's probably the answer um mm. on the flip side mm. and this is what this is what bothered me about amazon's about, about the statement was uh like they i think jay carney said in in the in the opening of it and uh for some reason my um i have some internet troubles but he basically said that the the new york times mischaracterized mischaracterize amazon mm-hmm. like, it, it, like it wasn't it was it was very clear i think um let's see the other thing when the story came out we knew it misrepresented amazon mm-hmm. and then he goes into listing like various things like four people in the account and why they're either one they were misrepresented or why they may have been compromised like I said one was accused of fraud um that's wrong like it did not mischaracterize amazon there might have been details that were wrong but anyone i mean it was it was it was kind of funny when the story came out like i have multiple people i know a lot of people that work in amazon a function both of being an mba and also of uh living in seattle and it was kind of like a running joke how people were just posting yep this is about how it is or in like the actually the running joke was that amazon was happy about the story because it would weed out people before they even bothered applying like no no one disputes that Amazon is a very challenging environment to work in. And so I so I so my actually I'm inclined to suspect that there's another story coming uh probably from the New York Times and Amazon's trying to get ahead of it and you know cast aspersions on it before it even drops. That's really interesting. But uh, here's, here's the other thing that irked me, and this is why – it feels like it's a missed opportunity from Amazon, and I wrote this. So number one, I think your point about conversations, it sounds cliche, but I think it's true. And I think this was – it's I, 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 what I dislike about the time story, and I said that at the time, is that it it didn't it, – it was missing context. And the context was that Amazon – you can't – Amazon is changing the world. It sounds cliche, but they are. Like we talked about AWS last week, it like AWS is I would put it in the top three most important products in the last fifteen years. The other two being the iPhone and Google, Google Search, and you can make the argument, and it's reasonable to ask that can you build world change? And we haven't gotten to e-commerce, which is obviously having a huge impact all on its own, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're talking, can you build a company? that does that sort of world-changing difference from nine to five and saying kumbaya. I mean, I'm, I'm overstating the case. And like I said, there were abuses that were detailed in there that were awful and 
and very bad and should be condemned. But that, I feel like Bezos got it right, right? He sent a letter to employees, obviously it was purposely leaked publicly, saying, you know, this is not the Amazon I recognize. If anything is happening, let me know. But we're committed to doing great things. And like – I was bothered the time story didn't acknowledge that, but I, I, I see know. where you're going. I it's I feel like when you're trying to counter something like this, that rather than going head on against it, which is what Jay Carney did, it's basically like this is all wrong. These guys are, are uh, um, these guys. One of them's a fraudster. The other one's this. The other one's that. I I I think your the version that you were just telling is you know what uh, uh, there are some things in the New York Times article that were correct. You know, like it the people who come to Amazon they're incredibly talented and we ask a lot of them. But there's no other way to change the world other than to do that. But that being said, there were some things here that were not correct. There were there were allegations about abuses and mistreatment of workers that are bluntly incorrect. And here's how we, it would I think it would have been much more powerful for them, right? To, and, and they have like part three and like and if there's anything we're missing, we formed a task force to investigate right. it and blah, blah blah blah. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It's it's, it's uh, I I call this um we it's a it's a principle from uh from the um, martial art jujitsu like you give your opponent your arm in order to take their neck. If you just try and let them not hit anything, like you, you have to draw them in. You have to give them something. You have to acknowledge where there's truth. And when two people are seeing both sides of an argument, if you're the one willing to acknowledge where the other person is correct, you automatically become more reasonable. You automatically have that much more credibility in which to dismiss the things that are then wrong. But to bluntly come out and say, oh, it's all wrong and here are the reasons why, it, you don't have anywhere near the same amount of credibility. Totally. And I think – and one thing that I, I, I did get to this week – and I remember it because this has come up with the with the Wall Street Journal and Theranos, Theranos the, uh-huh. um, the the testing thing. Um, like there's a, there's been like this kind of pushback on, on Twitter anyway about like kind of like how dare they? You know, like we're trying to change the world here. And I've heard this privately too. Like why are people – like, why is the press acting like this? And I don't think there's any question the press has gotten much more adversarial towards tech, particularly in the last last year, 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 two mm. years. And I think some of that is like personal, like, you know, journalists, you know, and tech people, they look the same on the outside, you know, but one is worth, you know, <laughs> a few million dollars and one is worth like 10. Um, th- th- that might be an aspect, but I think there's actually something very healthy happening here and tech people should buck up and deal with it. Uh, and that is if you want to change the world by good Lord, I hope somebody is keeping an eye on you mm. because yeah. the reality is the, 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 the people who have caused the most damage wanted to change the world. No, right. I- I think that's a good point, and uh, yeah, I think I think it's a great point. I mean, it's the 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 role of the press has been to keep keep governments honest, but as these companies as these companies increasingly take on the amount of power that go- that that has previously been reserved for governments, I, I I agree. It's healthy having people approach some of these things with some skepticism and making sure it doesn't get out of hand. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, I mean, like for all the bits that I disagreed with the Times article, again, I think because it lacked context. And I said that at the time, like at the time I felt, and in retrospect, I feel even more deeply, I'm glad it exists. And um, I think there's great developments at the Times about embracing this, this about being, uh, you know, I think they've embraced kind of the, the, we're going to make money through digital subscriptions and, and we'll get what we can from advertising, but they've made a clear choice there and that these sort of articles will fuel that. Mm. And I like that from a business model perspective and I like it from a societal perspective because uh, I do think that technology is changing the world and that means we as an industry, as painful it might be in the moment when when we feel we're being misrepresented I'm using we for the industry or that, you know, they don't know all the facts. They don't understand how technology works and all these sorts of things that in isolation are totally reasonable are, are folk are a classic example of looking at the trees and missing the forest, which is the bigger deal is 
companies like Amazon, companies like Facebook, companies like Google have more power and more influence per our discussion a couple weeks ago than any government ever really has. And and for so from a systematic reason, we need to embrace the scrutiny as painful as it might be when it's applied to you. Yeah. And so I, I have a question for you. When you saw it was Jay Carney responding to the New York Times article on behalf of Amazon, did that cause any degree of discomfort? Why? Because he's the former White House press. Yeah, secretary. like there was just something about that. In, uh, there was something unique about that that triggered in me just like, this just feels a little uncomfortable. And I don't know exactly why, but there was something about it. No, it didn't bother me at all. I think, mm. it, why, why, why wouldn't Amazon hire him and why wouldn't he go work for Amazon? Well, I think he just demonstrated exactly why. He took a very governmental approach to responding to criticism, which is to say it was all wrong, which is fine when you have a, a 30 second, um, a 15 to 30 second slot on the news. But I actually think that in this instance, the people that were engaged in the debate were a lot more nuanced and he should have acknowledged where they were right before going after the New York Times for-, for Oh, that, that, no, that's fair. I think it was a terrible response. I think I think it, it was poor performance on his part. I thought you were referring to like the fact that he was a former- um, It, it I, was both, actually. To be fair, you're right. On both, it was his performance was poor, but there was just something. And again, maybe this is um, there's there's something here about the the revolving door between government and private enterprise that I find a little uncomfortable. Um, uh, but that's a whole different topic. But I, I, it's also his response. I felt was was seriously lacking. Yeah, I thought I I I, I, I thought it was really poor too. The timing was weird. The content was weird. The approach was weird, um, and um, but it, it was. I love that uh, Dean Beckwet responded on Medium to it. Mm. I think like it's it shows such a healthier approach to the world than the traditional New York Times approach. All the news that's fit to print. I mean, good lord, how pompous can you be? Uh, and to go on another platform and engage where it, where it's happening. That is such a healthier understanding the internet sort of approach to to news and i think it it's it's a great sign it's a great sign for the times there's life in the uh, gray lady yet yeah no absolutely cool well uh i'm always up for a good uh complaining about i, I can always complain about pr <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to oblige yeah, you know, I just get the PR and just do good marketing. Like uh, our, our friends at Wealthfront, uh, this episode is sponsored by Wealthfront. Uh, Wealthfront is interesting because it automates habits and strategies that investors should be using on a regular basis but normally aren't. Great investing is a marathon, not a sprint, and little things that you may not be familiar with, like automated tax loss harvesting, rebalancing, and smart dividend reinvesting can add up to very large amounts of money over time. Wealthfront does all these things to your money automatically. As an exponent listener, you'll get $15,000 managed for free if you decide to open an account. But if you don't want to open an account, you just want to start with seeing the portfolio that they would suggest for you, you can go to the site without entering any of your information, um, fill out a questionnaire, and uh, at, again, it's wealthfront.com slash exponent. It's free, and you don't need to give an email address or anything. Again, that's wealthfront.com slash exponent. But if you do sign up, you can manage $15,000 for free. Um, Cool. Well, uh, hey, the, you actually nailed a lot of the good points. You being automatic, being habit, like all that sort of stuff is oh, it's so it's so valuable. I totally agree. Cool. Uh, sounds good. Well, it was good seeing you, and uh, is uh, as always good talking to you. Sounds good. Have a uh, safe trip back home, and I'll speak to you next week. All right. Sounds good. See you, mate. Wealthfront Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure.